I wore bindis to a festival, but that's because I can. I'm an Indian woman. And if anyone's going to wear bindis to a festival, it's me because I'm representing my culture. Whereas other women, I mean, I mean, anyone else who, who isn't Indian, they're not representing anything. And they may have an affinity to the culture in some way. They might have gone to India for six weeks and had a really spiritual experience. But that doesn't mean that they have the right to, to carry that and wear it as a fashion statement. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless. Today, we are chatting with Rowie Singh. It's hard to condense who and what Rowie is in a quick soundbite, but I'll give it a shot. Rowie is an influencer, yes, but she is not your average influencer. She might have more than 100,000 followers on Instagram, but she's not about detox teas and teeth whitener. Instead, Rowie's brand is her creativity. She's a wildly talented and daring makeup artist who bluntly refuses to colour inside any of the lines. She's also a proud Punjabi woman who is ready to call time on cultural appropriation, who is never afraid to embrace colour and is unapologetic in both her feminism and her femininity. This chat is political and candid and vivacious, just like the woman you see on Instagram and YouTube. Here's Rowie. Rowie. Yes. Welcome to Shameless in Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I want to paint a bit of an image for anyone listening. (laughs) I know. Rowie looks like an absolute (laughs) goddess right now. Radiant. For a Monday morning, it's pretty strong. (gasps) You've got this beautiful, what would we call it, like magenta, lilac-y top. Yes. Matching eyeshadow. That's the thing with me. I always, always match my eyeshadow with my clothes. It's just like a weird OCD thing that I do. So even just like a tiny bit of pink, even if it's in my shoe, or like a bag, just a little bit of matchy-matchy. I love it. It's I mood. love the nails as well. I know. It's These are my Coachella nails. nails. <gasps> I feel like we're going to need to put an actual photo up of all of the details. I know. I know. Everything with me is very visual. And so yeah. like, let's just describe. We're ripping it all back now. So there's no visuals here. Just your words. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> hey, Rowie, we start every episode in the same way. And that is asking you what you're reading, watching, Mm. listening to at the moment that you would recommend to some of our listeners. Okay, so I'm not even going to lie. I wish I read more books than I actually do. But the one book that I keep going back to is The Sun and Her Flowers by Rupi Kaur. Um, And it's just a series of poems and it's really, really inspirational. And Rupi Kaur, in fact, is a Punjabi woman like myself. And so there's that sort of initial connection that I have and she's an artist as well in her own way as a, a poet Tess and her poems are just beautifully worded and so simple but really hit home so she'll write a poem about what it means to be a brown skin girl and how that comes with a lot of like stigma but no your skin isn't brown it's like chocolate it's caramelly and it just makes you feel fuck yeah like okay yeah. no I can get involved with this so. I love how her stuff has sort of like transcended Instagram yes. to the point where it's become super accessible that people read it and don't see it as, as poetry but something just super shareable exactly you know it's incredible because you know poetry is something that for me was something that I would read in in English class at school it was never never beyond that so it's really important to see a woman of color expressing herself in that nature and it inspires me as well because I'm like okay if she's doing what she loves and you know I can do it too so I love her I love that but also also because I don't read that many books at the moment I've been watching a lot of TED talks and which are really really good and just ones on 
ones that sort of talk about how you can better yourself yes. and how you can improve self-confidence and how you can stay aware, little things like that. Um, Maisie Williams actually did one on um, the importance of being talented over being famous. Like if you want to strive to achieve your goals, don't focus on being famous, focus on being talented. Do yes, you find well. because your job but like by virtue of being online and you probably are a bit more well-known than you ever have been before that mm. you do want to work on those things more? Yes, 100%. I think it's hard to not get caught up in numbers yeah. and because you read a, cert- a certain point. It's like um, with money. You reach a certain point, you're like, okay, I've banked this much. What's the next step? What's the next step? And it's really, really, really hard to disconnect yourself from that. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that I have a passion and I have something that really interests me, I can always go back to that. And I can always be like, okay, the numbers don't matter. They literally do not matter. I'm here because I, I like to express myself and I like to be creative. That's I, it. I think as well, it. because you are so artistic and so creative and talented, when people go to your feed, even if you're doing sponsored content or whatever, which is how you need to make a living, mm. they don't feel like you're taking anything from them because you're offering so much exactly. because you're giving so much yeah. of your creative yeah. outlet, I guess, and your creativity in general. It does feel like a more symbiotic relationship. It is. Your- and I don't even realize how much I'm giving when I put up a look because you know I get bombarded with amazing women of color saying, okay, this really inspired me. Um, and I, it, that was just a look for me. I was just doing a look. I was like, oh, I have this idea to pop these colors together and then I'll just put it on my platform. And people will be like, this really inspired me. You inspire me to like work with more color, to wear pink. I thought as a brown girl, I could never wear pink, things like that. So and you're like, oh, that's really cool. That is helpful. I read recently in an interview that you did that you said as a Punjabi woman who grew up surrounded by Western culture, that it was very ridiculously easy to sort of forget where you came oh, yeah. from and to forget your own culture. Can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah. and how that sort of infiltrated your childhood? Yes. So I I was born in Sydney, but at the, at the age of I think around five or six, I moved to Connecticut in the US of all places, which is so random, like really random, but we moved for my dad's job and that was a crazy, like I was quite young, but it was still a crazy culture shock for me um, because I, you know, when I was at school, I was the only brown woman. I was the only brown person um, and I didn't really come to terms with that because I didn't really see myself as an Indian girl because in order to fit in, it was just easy to be like, okay, like I'm Australian or because I was in America and I was so young, I'm American. I literally forgot that I'm an Indian Australian, Indian Australian girl and I assimilated so quickly and I, um, I caught onto the accent really quickly. And so I was just like American girl, like talking with like proper and I just completely forgot or didn't really, it didn't really register, register to me that I was a brown girl. And Uh, I wasn't able to really practice my culture and my family are quite modern too. Like they grew up, my, my mom grew up in, um, in London. My dad grew up in Wollongong in Australia. So it's not like I wasn't second generation. I'm third generation. Like I grew up in a Western society. I've, I've, been to India once for a wedding, which is so shameful for me because I really want to go back. But yeah, it's crazy that I experienced this disconnect from my culture, but only realized that until when I came back to Australia and I started expressing myself through my art a bit more. I was like, hang on a second. I'm a, I'm an Indian woman. I'm Punjabi. What does that mean? How does that happen? So you go from defining yourself as American or Australian. Yeah. What was it? Was there something that happened when you got back to Australia that made you think, no, I want to embrace this? 
oh, I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I know, I think just leaving school was a huge opportunity for me to reconnect with who I was because I completely erased all my individuality. So I went from living in Connecticut then to moving to Singapore and I went to the American school there. And so again, I'm like, I'm an American girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then I moved back home um, and I went from a very like liberating freedom school to to a very strict, strict culture where I was in an all-girls Anglican school and I had this hideous uniform mm. and it just, you can't wear earrings, you can't have fun nails. No makeup at No school. makeup and... I was, that was so foreign to me. And so I wasn't able to express myself until I left school and I was in uni. And that's when I started, you know, Instagram really afforded me the opportunity to express myself at zero cost. Mm. So it's not like I had to go out and buy all these, you know, clothes. I could just buy one palette and create 50 looks from that. And that's where I, that was exciting to me because I could just experiment. Mm. Um, and that's where I sort of started to v- develop more of... A sense of self how did people respond to that because I think there's a sense when you leave school and you sort of come into your own and you want to sort of like go very much against that system of being put in boxes mm. at school people get uncomfortable with it sometimes mm. it's like but you were like this and now you're oh yeah a different way completely were people jarred by your desire to express yourself in the way that you were I think people thought especially from school that I was just putting it on because I was quite different in high school, but that was just my method of fitting in and flying under the radar. Don't make any noise. Don't be too crazy. Just fit in and you'll be fine. You'll survive. And that was my mentality. And so I suppressed it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm super creative now. It kind of, I had this creative inkling and it just bubbled to the surface when I was able to express myself. And a lot of people, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of people from school that you know, I don't speak to that often anymore. They're like, oh, um, what happened? Like, they're just really surprised. Like, you were never like this in high school. And I was like, maybe I was. I just didn't have the opportunity to express myself. I do feel like it's so freeing leaving high school because you have to fit into a mold. And I guess once you've hit year seven or eight or whatever, people think they know you and Mm. therefore you have to continually live up to what they think you are and who they think you are. Mm. But when you do go to university and you break free of the shackles of, particularly I went to an all-girls Catholic high school Mm. as well, Mm. it's almost like everyone settles into who they actually are Mm. and you begin to meet people for the first time. That's it. Well, you you meet strangers at uni and they respect respect you for what you're doing. So I was studying commerce arts and I assumed that I was going to go into a, a finance role because that's what everyone does. That's what I should do. You know, my boyfriend was doing commerce liberal and, you know, it just made sense for me to go down that path. Um, but at uni, I started to, you know, come up with these cool makeup looks or style myself in a different way and maybe wear one of those looks to uni. And instead of people being like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> like laughing at it, they're going, oh, that's really cool. And then they'll follow me and I'd create relationships because I was able to express myself. Tell us about the time that you realized that this could be your career. So you started posting this stuff on Instagram. Mm. You clearly started gaining a bit of traction. When did you realize this could be my job? That was, I had that conversation with myself so many times because I was in disbelief. I was like, this isn't possible. This can't be a job, especially, you know, coming from an ethnic background, you're meant to be a doctor. You're meant to be a lawyer. You're meant to be successful in a very prescriptive way. So I, it was really hard for me to come to terms with the fact that 
this could be a career. And I was almost ashamed of saying that out loud. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't say to, you know, my family. I, I think the only person that I spoke to this um, properly about was my boyfriend. I was like, I think this could be something. He's like, hell yeah, it can. So he was really supportive, but I never really spoke to anyone about it for fear that if it doesn't actualize, that's just, it would be embarrassing. And so I was, yeah, it was, it was hard to, to wrap my head around the fact that I can make money from a platform and not only that, but I can make money by myself. What do you love about the beauty industry and makeup so much? I think the biggest thing about it's not so much beauty because that I love I love what you can do with beauty so for me beauty is literally the vehicle for self-expression it's how I express myself it's my art form and I fell in love with the uh, what you can do with it rather than what it is itself because the beauty industry seems so um seems like it feels like there are there's right and wrong when it comes to beauty. Like don't do this, there's technique and don't blend too much or don't put too much color. And I sort of threw all of that out the window. And I think as well, I'm working with Sports Girl, which is really Mm. exciting. And their recent campaign is all about rewriting the beauty rules. And I, that resonates with me so strongly because for me, more is more. And I ignore every rule when it comes to what you should or shouldn't be doing and just rewriting the rules. And makeup is literally self-expression for me and it doesn't have to have any sort of yeah rules to it. That's it. <laughs> another thing I read um, in an, another interview that you did is that there was a key moment that your Instagram blew up and it was where you wore bindis in a photo, I think. Yeah. And I'm interested in your thoughts around this mm. because... Festival goers and cultural appropriation are sort of two things that seem to overlap a lot at the moment and people would see you looking sort of striking in your makeup and your bindis because that's that's your thing, like mm. that's your culture and that's how you're expressing yourself. I am interested though in sort of how you see people appropriating that on Instagram mm. too or trying to ride the wave that you've it, that's yours. Exactly. Well, this was cultural appropriation was a really foreign concept to me. I had to wrap my head around it because I was like quite marginalized for my culture or sort of looked at funny for bringing a smelly Indian dish to school or, you know, going to the Gudwara, which is our um, temple and doing prayers and saying no to hanging out with friends and instead um, spending time with family. Those aspects of my culture are not borrowed by those who are appropriating. They are only taking the beautiful aspects of it, the colour, the bindis, the, the bling, everything that comes with the shiny new aspect of Indian culture, people want to take. And so I had to wrap my head around that. No, it's not really people you know, accepting my culture. They're just picking and choosing what's most convenient to them. And that was concerning for me. And I thought, I, I wore bindis to a festival, but that's because I can. Yeah. I'm an Indian woman and if anyone's going to wear bindis to a festival, it's me because I'm representing my culture. Whereas other women, I mean, I mean anyone else who, who isn't Indian, they're not representing anything. And they may have an affinity to the culture in some way. They might have gone to India for six weeks and had a really spiritual experience. But that doesn't mean that they have the right to, to carry that and wear it as a fashion statement. So it's, it is concerning for me when I do see girls and guys appropriating the culture because I'm like, do you even know what that means? Mm. And the thing with my audience is that they're very smart and very receptive. So I get a lot of people asking, can you explain cultural appropriation to me? I want to know what it means. I want to know what the right and wrongs are. And I'm very happy to have that conversation. And I'm also happy to have the conversation, the uncomfortable one, where someone is tagging me in a post, like a white woman is tagging me in a post doing a festival look inspired by me, but she's also included the bindi in it. 
And I've had to have that conversation sometimes because it's my responsibility and it hasn't gone well. I mean, they unfollow and they get really defensive about it and they're like, oh, that was rude. I'm like, I'm just doing my job as an influence. Otherwise, what am I here for? Like, what? where's the representation? When you're happy for people to come to you and ask you to define cultural appropriation, do you think there'll be a point where you kind of tire of that burden and that emotional labor? And do you ever feel like you want to turn around and say, how about you do some Googling or some reading? All the time, all the time. It's really tiring because, and also not even just that, not even, it's not just tiring, but it's, it's hard for me to word it and for it to, to get the message across. So my friend, my best friend, Sohan, she works for BuzzFeed and she wrote an article on the do's and don'ts of festival fashion. And it was all about cultural appropriation. And sometimes if it's just too much and I'm not really getting the point across to someone, I'll link that article because it explains it beautifully. And it's not an attack. I'm never, it's not me attacking another, a white woman or someone else for, for, taking pieces of my culture it's just education because we've all done it before I've culturally appropriated but I've learned from that and that's the most important thing it's just an education I think that's the thing for us and Zara and I've been grappling with this a lot because in our podcast community on Facebook this is a conversation that happens week Mm. on week on week and so often I feel like it's an issue where a lot of white people come back at the person of color who's accusing someone often an influencer of cultural Mm. appropriation and they feel anger that's the first thing a lot of white people feel they feel frustrated and upset and like pc culture has gone mad Mm. and i wonder if it's an issue largely with white fragility do you feel like a lot of white people just aren't used to anyone especially minorities coming back to them and telling them that their behavior is not okay i couldn't have worded it better that's Mm. it if they get so defensive, like we're attacking them that major major white fragility aspect and oh, how do you tell someone? Like it, it, the more you explain to them, the more hurt they, they feel, the more they feel they're being attacked, no matter how nicely you say it. Mm. I, I'm st- I still don't know how to approach that conversation and how to, how to make it better for, for both of us. Like that's, it's, it's a struggle. It's very much a case of like, it's not about us. Like me and Michelle as white women, like this conversation's not about us and it's also not personal. Like you're that's not making it. a judgment on my personality. Oh my God. And I think people assume that that's what it's about. Yes, they, t- they take it so personally and I think that's the problem. Yeah. It's actually not about you. It's about what it means to culturally appropriate and how that that can affect brown women or any um, person of colour. I think as well when you're trying to, as you said, it's very hard to write about because when you're trying to condense lived experiences, and I mean I'm saying this as a white woman so I might be projecting, tell me if I am, mm. but when you have lived a life where very subtle racism has been, mm. uh, I guess, a pillar of every milestone of your life, for mm. example, having an ethnic surname or mm. an ethnic name, you can't condense that and simplify it to a sentence to someone on Instagram who says, why is this cultural appropriation and why does it matter? And you can try, but people are always going to rebut you. They're always going to, they'll always have something to say. And uh, that's the thing. I I want to have a stance in this and I want to talk about it. I've just got to be really careful. And I think with my YouTube, especially, I want to use that as a platform to talk and to be more expressive about my thoughts and opinions. But it's so scary because I know I'm going to get backlash no matter what I say, but I need to get over it. I need to get the fuck over that because it's, <laughs> I need to, I need, um, I have something to say and I have opinions and um, I feel like I have the right to. Um, and it, it's simply that it's, it's scary. It's a scary conversation to have. Coming up 
coming up after the break. Is the beauty industry diverse enough? And how do you plan for a future when your career didn't exist five years ago? But first, a word from today's sponsors. I want to talk to you about the media. Yes. We are two women in the media who run this podcast and the media is overwhelmingly white. Mm. And I do wonder from your perspective as a woman of colour, what is it like to put on the radio or put on the television or open a newspaper and not see really any people of colour delivering the news? It's, you know what, you've sort of become desensitised to it. So you kind of, going back to the question about me feeling like I've erased my culture growing up, it, it, I don't really, you know, bat an eyelid and I think that's kind of bad. But when I do see someone representing my culture in the media, I am like so happy, like overwhelmingly happy. And it, it is tough because I can't relate to that. I really cannot relate to um, to white women in, in media. Like there's, unless there's like a common thread, there's nothing that makes me that excited (laughs) do you think it influences the kinds of stories that are reported on for example i know this is quite a dark example but when women are victims of domestic violence Mm. often the ones that the countries are speaking about are white women Mm. there's a tendency to really not discuss women of color who are victims and there are plenty of women of color who are victims of domestic violence yeah do you notice things like that or are there conversations you have with friends like that i do i think it comes from the fact that a lot of there's a lot of domestic violence for um in that sort of circulates in the Indian community but no one really speaks about it because it's part of Indian culture to be hush hush about those type of things and to to not talk about it so making your story public is the wrong thing to do so i don't know if that if it's because you know women of color don't have the opportunity the media is not affording them the opportunity to speak about it or they don't want to speak about it themselves for fear of shame from their family i never thought about it yeah like it that. must be twofold that's it but i think there's a huge responsibility Definitely. on the on the media too in absolutely how and, and the story and teasing, that they out, and teasing out that conversation and yeah. making it more comfortable for women of color to talk about those hard those really hard issues what do you think is the way forward to have a more diverse media and social media community I think it really starts in the workplace, just behaviours in the workplace. Because I used to work um, at a media agency. That was incredible because I learned so much. But it's the simple steps to help give equal opportunity to people of colour, to see them as equally as valuable as the rest of um, Australia, just giving them the opportunity it's, it's hard because a lot of it, like if I, if I was a journalist or something and I wanted to work my way up, I'd put a lot of the responsibility on myself because I, you kind of shrug and go, well, you know, that's, that's it. That's the media. That's the industry. It's super whitewashed. So I need to work hard and I need to do it. So I just want to put that responsibility. It's a on, great point. The burden others. and the burden. Why do we carry yeah. that burden? Why is, why does it become our fault that we're not, um, you know, climbing the ranks? Like, it's like, okay, what do I need to do better? Which is great. Cause that's great self-awareness, but everyone needs to be on board here. It's not your responsibility not, to change it. It's like all of us together. Everyone, yeah. allies, allies, everyone together. So mm-hmm. I think that's the starting point. <laughs> How do you feel about the beauty industry in general now? Like, do you feel like it's still a very closed and exclusive space where you have to look a certain way in order to be welcomed in? Or do you feel like that's slowly changing? Slowly changing. Yeah. Oh, it's very slow. We are getting there. There are brands like Fenty Beauty where all you want to do is just clap because they are doing it so, so well. So I think in the States, it's definitely um, more of a thing like diversity is key. And I think 
here in Australia, we're getting there. I think we're learning. But what I see happening is that there are brands that are tokenizing people of color and they're using these people of color to tick a checkbox. Like, yep, we've got it in our campaign. But then there are people like me um, who I don't sit on the pole opposite of the diversity scale. I, it's a sliding scale of diversity and I'm in the middle because I'm like lighter skinned Indian. So I don't go check, you know, brands that look at me and go, okay, good. We've got, you know, the black girl. Like it's, it's, it's hard to be seen as, as relevant and important and, and needed in a campaign because brands have a different idea of what is what they need and they're not really looking at me as a talented artist as a as a woman like a full Punjabi woman of color who can create crazy things on her face and we want to use that skill brands are kind of going all right hang on you know we'll we'll, we'll use her because that sort of fits the brief that's the problem it's kind of like they're treating diversity as a trend it's like people are into diversity let's quickly just like chuck a few people of color in our campaign exactly and to quiet the voices out there who are who they know are going to speak up and complain about it it's just to be like okay settle down we've got it it's It's like avoiding a pr crisis exactly roey you seem so unapologetic in the way that you present yourself to the world Mm. and i know that might not be how it is internally but you do have such a unapologetic beautiful loud aesthetic where does that come from is that something you've always had as a kid I know that you spoke about high school but where does this come from it's funny I I was watching old home videos of myself and then I was like oh there she is like (laughs) (laughs) um just wanting to be the center of attention but in a valuable way, not just by seeking attention, by doing dumb shit. Um, but I could, you know, I'm a Leo and I could see myself as like this little like fire being like, you know, I can sing, I can dance. And I've always had this creative inkling. I just didn't know where I wanted to channel that energy. I didn't know if I wanted to be, I was like, do I want to be an actor? No. Do I want to be a model? No. Like I was ticking it off. Like where, what is it that I want to do? I couldn't articulate it. And so once, you know, Instagram came along, it gave me the opportunity to be, um, creative in the way that I wanted to. So I had the control. Um, and it's more just me challenging myself. How can I get bigger and better? And how can I take aspects of the world and fuse that into my makeup looks? How can I draw on the simplest of things for inspiration? And I think that's where it comes from. Hmm. And how have you gone explaining this, what you do, oh. what your Instagram is? How have you gone explaining that to your family if the expectation may have been hmm. that you go into quite a traditional career path? It's so – it's difficult. Luckily, my dad really gets it and he has been a huge supporter. He encourages me. He's like, yeah, no, that, you know, this is important because you're, this is a new era of career and you're thriving in this and you're not just – a model you're not just a pretty girl you are a creator you're a content creator a content producer and you're running the show you do I do everything myself I I mean I've got management which really helps me but I'm doing my YouTube videos I'm the lighting person I'm the camera person I'm the director the creative director the editor you're doing everything yourself so I think people underestimate what goes into being a quote-unquote influencer because there's so much more to well, you're running a business. I'm running a business. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, when people are like, oh, what do you do? I'm lost for words sometimes because <laughs> I don't really know what to say. I'm like, I'm in media, but I'm also in arts. I'm also in makeup. I'm a producer. I run my own business. And people are like, uh-huh. Okay. The eyes glaze over. <laughs> you have a incredibly engaged audience, mm-hmm. sort of by industry standard, incredibly engaged. 
Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just a, a mesh of all of the things we've already talked about or do you think there's more to it? I think I lead, my content is led passion first, if that makes sense. So I'm not posting because I want to get likes. I mean, the, the likes is a nicety, but I'm posting because I like to express myself. It's, all, it's more about my talent rather than being insta-famous. Because if your goal, like just an advice piece, if your goal is to be famous or to be insta-famous, you, it'll crash and burn because your, your goals aren't clear. And when little things like, say if Instagram died one day, which it probably will eventually, if it just no longer existed and there was something else, what are you going to do? Because that's what you're relying on. You're not relying on that creative passion. And so I think my followers really see that. And not only that, but they resonate with who I am as an Australian Indian girl being creative. And I didn't even realize that there were so many women out there, Canadian Indians, American Indians, who who can relate to that experience. Like I am have grown up in a Western society. I'm not Indian enough to be Indian. I'm not Australian enough to be in. To, I'm not Australian enough to be Australian. I sit in the middle here and I felt it's kind of isolating, but there are all these women all over the world that have that exact same experience. And so I, I talk to them and we, we have a conversation and my DMs are so open. I respond to everybody. And so I think that's why people are a little bit more engaged because it's, yes, it's about the art, but it's so much more, it's so much more than that. Do you think long-term about after Instagram, like mm. you just said, might not be around forever. What are your big plans? Do you have them or are you committed to living in the moment and just making the most of this right now? I'm, I always live in the moment. It's kind of, it's a blessing, but also a curse because <laughs> <laughs> I'm always just thinking about, okay, let's just take it, take it day by day. Um, and I trust myself to do that because in, in 2010, I remember thinking, what do I want to do? Like, this is, this is when everyone's thinking about what subjects they're choosing and, you know, what are we going to be doing in uni? Like, what do I want to do? And I never told anyone, but I knew I wanted to do something creative and I wanted to do something more. And I was like, oh, how cool would it be if I was, you know, like people recognize me for my art of some sort, but I'm not an artist. And it was really confusing. I didn't know what it was, but then it just manifested itself. Like Instagram came about and I figured it out along the way. So it wasn't, it was quite gradual. So I'm not sure what, is next for me, but I have ideas. For example, I know I want to create my own makeup palette. Like I want mm. my own product, which which would be really cool. I also want to fuse beauty and the digital and technology and, and do something really, really cool in that space as well. We have spoken quite politically in this chat, whether about beauty or fashion or creativity in general. Do you ever think or wonder when you do want to become more vocal on your YouTube videos that brands will be off put by that? Because I am mm. curious for influencers that realize they have this platform and this voice and they want to use it that then suddenly do you need to be concerned about revenue as a direct result because this is something that we deal with as well because we have advertising on the podcast but we are very political in what we say and do and that can be an issue sometimes it's it's really scary it's honestly really scary I feel like I have to that's why I feel like I can't be my complete complete self when I'm in a YouTube video I'm still getting there I'll get there but I feel like I have to filter myself or all the time and, and be the super bubbly person that I am, which is, which is who I am. But you know, if I wanted to, I feel like I can't say anything negative. And I think when you're talking, not that I want to say something negative, it's just more having an opinion, like a really bold opinion is a little bit scary because you are thinking, for example, um, cruelty free makeup. That is like, 
priority for me and I get a lot of backlash when I do work with a couple of brands who don't have that as part of their um, business plan yet. And so do I speak about it because I'm working with these brands, but do I like, where, where's the middle ground? Like it is really difficult. And I think it's funny people, and maybe I was quite um, guilty of this a long time ago, but I think the more I've been in the industry, the mm. more I've learned in that people are quite black and white about it. Like mm. they'll say, we'll stand for something and go for every single brand that stands for yes. that. But I think I imagine for you, you have to think, well, I'm playing a longer game here. Like yes. I think my work is important and I think it's important that my face and my work and yeah. my creativity is out there. And in order to do that, I need to earn money to, to keep that alive. People don't really get that. They're not seeing that side of it. And I, I struggle with this. I struggle being black and white. I'm kind of selective when it comes to, what I want to stand for. And I don't want to be like that forever, but I'm, yeah, I'm running a business here. So I, I need to make revenue somehow. So oh, it's really, it's really hard. It's really tricky. And I think you do sometimes need to have your non-negotiables. Mm. Um, yes. But at the same time, it's almost like with any brand, you could investigate them to the point where you find something you probably don't yep. like. Yeah. So the backlash does feel very personal when it comes when you've worked with a particular brand. But at the same time, I feel like with makeup as well, if you're enjoying the product mm. and you're willing to stand by it, that's the main thing, right? That you're recommending is the main a product. Thing. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's really simple, actually. I, I, I overcomplicate it. But if you enjoy the product and you like it and you have a reason to use it, then. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Rowie, I feel like when I scroll through your Instagram feed as well, I see a really interesting blend of empowerment and sexiness and edginess. What is womanhood to you, first of all, and do you consider yourself a feminist? Definitely consider myself a feminist because I feel like being a feminist is just believing in the equality of the sexes and I believe that women should have equal opportunity. And womanhood to me is about, I think it's really internal it's just about, without sounding too basic, but just about loving yourself and just respecting yourself. Respect yourself and you'll respect others. And it's just, it's as simple as that. It's, that that's it to me. It just, have an appreciation for yourself. Take care of yourself. Spend time with yourself. I think alone time is really important to help me understand who I am as a, as a woman. Totally. I think it's all about that self-reflection and self-awareness, right? Self-awareness, yeah. For people coming onto your account and coming into contact with your work, what do you want to be known for? How do you want people to describe you? I think confidence. The, the confidence to be myself and to be unique. Because I think that is so important to me. I, I just want people to know me for my, my confidence, my boldness and my ability to express myself however I please. If people know me for that, then they can look to me for inspiration when they want to do it themselves. God, I love that. <laughs> who, who do you look up to then? So many women oh, would look up to you. Yeah. Who do you look up to? Oh, it's, I, it changes all the time because I have a collection depending on what, what's inspiring me at the moment. So I do have like artists that I follow on Instagram who are breaking the rules. There's this recent one that I stumbled across. I forgot her full username. Inez is her name, but she does 3D makeup. It's really, really cool. So she'll she'll create these looks and then edit it in post-production. And it's like this really trippy makeup that's like moving. And that's really, really cool. Like that's different. And then there are like, there's Jamila Jamil. Of course. I mean, I mean, she's just so good. She's so, so unapologetic um, in her voice. And she's so, she's so strong and so confident. That really inspires me that maybe one day when I get to a point where I'm comfortable in my career, I can be more expressive in that way. Mm. 
be more comfortable to to share my opinions and just be unapologetic and not have to worry about stepping on eggshells yeah you're about to go to Coachella aside from that what's in store for you this year that's a good question again I play it by ear so I'm like things just kind of pop up but with my content um so what I'm planning to do is I want to make it a little bit more conceptual and link my makeup to my ideas and my thoughts and feelings so I had this idea that I wanted to reimagine Disney princesses but as brown women so I wanted to do like uh, like the Beauty, Beauty and the Beast recreation um, where I recreate Belle but she's a Punjabi woman and she's wearing like Indian jewelry and like like a sari but it's like yellow like Belle um, and this sounds incredible okay so little things like that and I'm working maybe um, balancing out working with brands and also um, doing things for myself and working with other artists and collaborating more I really want to collaborate more my friends a photographer um, videographer working with them and creating something that just is that feels so wholesome and you know, you, 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 you feel really fulfilled when you get to do when you're in control and you can create what you want to create so more of that this year Rowie thank you so much for today your confidence and your energy is infectious and I can't wait to see what you do this year and I just think the more the more things you say and I think the more you speak the better it is for all of us so thank you so much thank you you so much for having me this was so fun (laughs) thank you so much for joining us for this in conversation episode with Rowie Singh if you love Rowie as much as we do you can find her on Instagram at Rowie Singh while you're there check us out too we're at Shameless Podcast That is all from us, guys. We will catch you on Monday. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.